the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll, here to discuss current events from a biblical worldview and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Now, here are your hosts on K-Praise. Hello, Biblical Citizens. I'm Rob Jenks, the church elder, and sitting across from me in the studio is Dr. Gary Cass, who's a local pastor. Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, your usual hosts, are on travel this week and next. So today, Gary and I will be looking at God's purpose for and role of government. And next week, we'll be looking at what God might have us do as churches and individuals when government turns evil. You know, in his 1994 book titled Death by Government, historian R.J. Rummel estimates that in the 20th century alone, the Soviets, communist Chinese, and Nazis murdered some 128 million people, and yet another 24 million were killed by Japan, the Khmer Rouge, the Turks, the communist Vietnamese, the Pakistanis, the Yugoslavs under Tito, North Korea, and others. Should we, we should not be surprised when government goes awry. As Thomas Paine noted in his 1775 work titled Common Sense, Government, even in its best state, is a necessary evil, in its worst state, an intolerable one. Well, Gary, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for coming. Looking forward to it. It's my pleasure. Gary, let's start off with what God has to say about the purpose and role of government. Can you share a bit from Scripture? Sure. Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about it, but the classic text is Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. And it teaches us that every ruling authority is established by God and that all human government is derived authority. That is, authority delegated to them by God. In verses 4 through 6, we see that those who are in authority are described as both servants of God and ministers of God. In verse 2, those who reject government authority reject God's authority. But that authority is also a limited authority. In John 19, Jesus teaches us that those who have power hold their power only because of God. And we see that as well in Psalm 74, in Daniel chapter 2, which both point out that those who are in authority can also be removed by God. So Romans 13.4 points out that such derived or delegated authority is also limited authority, And it is to be exercised for a number of reasons. For the good of all people, that's what is meant by the common good, which means basically providing earthly justice and protection, promoting the good of all the citizens, and modeling and promoting good, which, of course, we know is God-honoring 
conduct. So civil governments act as God's agents of justice. Romans 13.4 says, For he, that is the magistrate or, or God's representative, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We see in Deuteronomy 32, Romans 12, 1 Thessalonians 4, that ultimate justice and vengeance belongs to God alone. But Romans 13 5 says governments bear the sword. Thus, they have the power of life and death and are to carry out earthly justice against what God defines as wrong. Romans 13.5 further says that our subjection to political authorities is not merely to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of our own conscience and for our own well-being. When we think of the role of government, The largest scale expression of the power of the sword or or vengeance is discussed in Romans 13 verse 4 in the execution or prosecution of war. The clearest biblical justification for war is in defense of the citizenry from those who do evil, as described in 1 Peter 2.14. Yeah, and as you've noted, uh, Romans 13 teaches that governments are to act on behalf of the good of all the people. Because as Genesis 1 also points out, all humanity is created by God in his image. So it's right, is it not, for government to protect its weakest members? Uh, Exodus 23 mentions the poor. Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 27 mention foreigners. And Psalm 82 mentions the weakest members of society. Right, and uh, it's been said that you can judge a government by how it treats its weakest members. In Psalm 139, God celebrates the creative work of generating life in the womb, while other texts, including Exodus 21, 2 Kings 8, and Amos 1, condemn the harming of unborn human life. Another realm of government protection and stewardship is the care of God's material creation. Humanity was given the responsibility as caretakers to work and keep the garden in Genesis 2.15. We see in Genesis 1 and Psalm 24 as well that God created all things and that we are called to steward that creation. Political leaders, therefore, are called to help us steward our natural resources. In 1 Peter 2.14, it notes that God instituted government to model and encourage good conduct. As Romans 13.3 pointed out, government leaders should not be a terror to good conduct. Rather, as Paul states in Romans 13, would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. So, as God's servant, should the government require its citizens to obey Matthew 22, verse 37, the greatest commandment, where Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind? So we have a Church of England today. Should there also be a Church of the United States? Well, and that was very contentious in the founding era, and I think we ended up in the right place. It's right to seek religious freedom as Christians. However, we have to understand civil governments have a different role. The Church is the minister of mercy. The government is the minister of justice. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew verse 21 When he makes a distinction, he says, Render unto Caesar those things which are Caesar's, and to God those things which are God's. And in John 18, 36, Jesus explains that his kingdom is not of this world. That is, it's not derived from the power of a secular state or government. So 
no, we don't want to have a national church. Uh, the Danbury Baptist uh, wrote a letter because they were concerned. This is in October of 1801, and they wrote to President Thomas Jefferson regarding their concern to have a separation of church and state. And what they meant was not the separation of state from God, but the preservation of their religious liberty. They did not want a national denomination. And they asked that the power of the government not extend further than to punish the man who works ill against his neighbor. It wasn't to reach to his ideas or his theology. So in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, uh, we note that good government should allow for obedience to the second great commandment, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And government can also serve to sanctify Christians. Throughout history, governments have been, to a greater or lesser degree, a challenge to Christians and to the church. Often, as Romans eight twenty-eight points out, these situations have been used to the further sanctification of God's people. Obedience and disobedience to civil government at their appropriate times are both challenges and opportunities for our blessing and for God's glory. We believe all things exist under the sovereignty of God and serve not only the good of the people, but also God's ultimate purpose to bring glory to his name. We see this throughout Scripture, Psalm 115, verses 1 and 2, Proverbs 16, 4, Isaiah 42, 8. So government, too, has been instituted by God, not only for the good of humanity, but also for the glory of God's own name. And we can see such glory in the establishment of limited civil government under God. So we reject both anarchy and tyranny. Well, that's a great discussion. Thank you. So going back to the Danbury Baptists, they're really pointing out that it's uh, not a situation where you're, you're looking for a separation of God and state, but you're really talking about the church not being dictated to by the government. Exactly. Great. Well, we need to take a short break, and when we return, we will be discussing a bit more about what God wants from human government. So we'll be right back. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts on K-Praise. Hey, I'm Rob Jenks and, uh, with Gary Cass here again. We're back continuing the discussion of what God desires of human government as defined in his word. So, Gary, we've talked about the role of government, but what about the form? Is God particular? Does he favor monarchy, monarchy democracy, or just what? Well, um, we have from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God, of course, created the whole world. There's incredible diversity and beauty in all of his creation. In Psalm 8 and Romans 1, it points out that such variety in creation displays God's character, his creativity, his glory. And similarly, glory can be seen in the diversity of cultures and languages and even governments. Variety throughout the world in governmental style, form, and function can bring glory to God as long as that particular government in question is operating within God's defined parameters and purposes for God's government. The vast 
global scope of political authorities and how they work is quite astounding. At the same time, the varied governments of the world have specific geographic authority in certain locations for a certain amount of time. And every attempt we've seen throughout history to unify the globe under one single authority has failed and, frankly, will fail until the global diversity of all nations find its ultimate unity and purpose in the worship of Jesus Christ, the true King of kings and Lord of lords. We see this taught all throughout Scripture, Psalm 86, verse 9, 1 Timothy 6, 15, Revelation 15, 4, and Revelation 19, 16. So the authority and sovereignty of civil government, which is real, even though it's delegated and limited, instructs us about the kingdom of God and his rule and his reign. The exercise of power and authority and judgment, whether it's being used justly or maybe even abusively, encourages a, a longing in our human heart for, I think, God's more perfect union, if you will, the kingdom of God. That's what we're longing for. In limitations of what government can and cannot do or will or will not do and frankly should and should not do, there's an opportunity for an increased awareness of our own human need for God and for his ultimate kingship. So where government is unable or unwilling to promote justice, the perfect justice of God remains. It's holy and it's satisfying and it's comforting to our hearts We see that throughout scriptures again in Psalm 9-7 and 103 verse 6, Isaiah 16-5 and 30-18, even in Matthew 12-20. Where government is unable or unwilling to exercise power and authority for the good and the protection of all people, we trust in the omnipotence and mercy of God, who is always holy and unlike any other authority in the universe. So the people of God finds comfort in the Lord himself, even in the midst of various political times and situations. We read in Scripture, the nations rage, the people plot, and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. By the way, uh, you don't want God laughing at you. No. It's usually a, a bad sign. And this is a derisive laughter. He's not laughing with us. No. So God's kingdom and God's uh, rule stand, therefore, in vivid contrast to the kingdoms and nations of the earth, to the glory of God. And we even see that in Matthew uh, 25 and following. So all earthly authorities will ultimately be superseded by the rule of Christ. And we see that in Daniel 2.44 and Revelation 22.15. It's a great hope. Amen. So God is sovereign over all governments, large and small, evil and good, long-lasting and short. So um, he makes the nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away, as Job 12 and Psalm 75 proclaim. And Daniel 2, verse 44, notes that every earthly kingdom will one day come to an end, including our own. But God's kingdom will never be destroyed and will never end. And that's right. And until that day, though, Philippians 3 reminds us that we are the people of God, and therefore we are to faithfully fulfill our responsibilities of citizens, both in our 
earthly respective governments and as citizens of heaven. Our prayer must be the prayer of Psalm 72:11. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Our message is the gospel message of the kingdom or the rule of God that is to be proclaimed to all nations until the end comes as it's described in Matthew 24. So whether our behavior is commended by governments, as in Romans 13.3, or as we've seen throughout history, as believers are delivered up to tribulation or were hated by the nations and even put to death, as Jesus warns us again in Matthew 24, as believers, we persevere with hope, and we eagerly wait until the Lord's return with a passion for the global, eternal worship of Christ that we see portrayed in Revelation chapter 7. Well, that's great, Gary. So we're thinking we're both heavenly-minded and earthly-minded. While we're here, we have to be faithful in all things. So we've talked about what God desires from government. Can you think of anything else that God might require? Is there anything in particular that might anger God? Well, and... I'm so thankful for the scripture because there's a lot of examples of this. And we know that God is righteous, he's just, and he's holy. And none of these attributes can be compromised. We see that in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. We see uh, the prophetic word of Isaiah against Israel in Isaiah 42. So God was angry with Israel and with Israel's kings every time they turned away from obeying him. They indulged in the practices of the nations of Canaan such as wicked child sacrifice and sexual perversion, all of this angered God and and stirred up his wrath. All believers affirm that every human life, regardless of whether you're born or not, whether you're at the end of your useful life or not, or whether you have lots of melanin or not, all human life is precious. That is embedded in the second half of Jesus' summary of the law and the commandments. That's God's heart. And he is angry with those who seek to separate us from him, who divide his people, who wreak havoc through constant conflict. As Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we're reminded God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Many governments today are promoting what's called a post-modernist worldview. And this worldview denies the existence of God as our creator. And because of that, there's no possibility to ever come to any knowledge of the truth. And now our people have been brought into this hypocritical new morality. So apparently now there's neither male nor female. There's something called non-binary. There's the dream of an egalitarian utopia where everybody has everything the same. And of course, this has to be enforced by sinful human beings who will engage in the same sort of discrimination and oppression that they accuse others of. And how do we know this? As This was the case in the Soviet Union. We see it in North Korea. We see it in China today. 
And eventually, it'll give rise to what's called a social credit score, where you're rated on your political correctness. And depending on your rating, uh, you get restrictions on your freedom. If it goes too far, you're going to need some deprogramming and maybe uh, encamped uh, in some re-education facility somewhere where you can get your correct thinking uh, restored to you. Uh, That's the story of tyranny coming from a postmodern worldview. So clearly, that's not God's plan. Well, this has uh, been the track of history for some years, hasn't it? Uh, As we think back again to the 20th century, which is just one of many. um, Thinking back to the calamitous 14th century, just as uh, evil from the standpoint of the people who lived back then. But the 20th century, where nearly 200 million people were killed, Mm -hmm. um, 100 million by Marxism alone. And so um, this is the norm, is it not? So it really, it, it's, it's interesting because, it, um, because it's an issue of, of uh, recognizing the problem as it's occurring. You know, it's situational awareness, and I think that's where a lot of our church leaders have disagreed. Well, and, and they've allowed a whole generation to grow up bereft of just basic facts of history. And so the siren song of socialism is wooing them, and unfortunately, we don't have to look very far in history to see uh, the human toll that is taken, if, unless you think murdering 100 million people in the name of uh, liberation is ethical. I certainly uh, don't know how any Christian could ever entertain a system that produces that kind of wickedness. Wow. So, again, that's the norm, and so it's uh, it's incumbent upon us to be aware of our circumstances, to, to have good situational awareness, and to react biblically, um, as this program says, a biblical citizen, let's roll. Absolutely. Well, well said. And next week, we'll be looking at what the Lord might have us as groups, as churches, as individuals do in appealing to and sometimes opposing evil government, as the church should have in the early days of the Nazi regime in 1933, on through... Uh, the final solution in 1942 and their ultimate demise in 1945. Back in those early days in 1933, uh, the regime was um, just filled with evil men, but they were testing the waters, were they not? Mm-hmm. Um, just to see how the churches might react. Well, uh, thanks so much, Gary, for sharing the truth here and boldly speaking out. Um, again, next week we'll be looking at um, what the Scripture has to say about um, what, uh, what we can do as, as biblical citizens. So it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at this same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen. Let's roll on K-Praise.
Heavenly Hope, Truths from the Hebrew Language. Pastor D here every Sunday night, 8 o'clock to 8.30 p.m. And we would like to have you take your shoes off and get comfortable and get a good Bible study in every Sunday night, 8 to 8.30 p.m. Truths from the Hebrew Language. God richly bless you is my prayer. Shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. Join Pastor Dennis Hodges for Heavenly Hope, Truths from the Hebrew Language, Sundays at 8 p.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.